Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. So welcome to the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are excited to be talking about Audiobook Month as it comes to an end. And we have a guest with us from Libro FM. So we're very excited to talk to Claire Hanscom. Is that how you pronounce your last name? Yeah, near enough. <laughs> Let's hear you say it. Claire Hanscom. Oh, okay. I'm just mix- I'm missing the accent. Yeah, so. that's, I can't make you speak in a British accent, so don't worry about that. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about, I guess we're going to get into Claire's head about the audiobook world, how, you know, all the trends that are going on, different types of authors um, who have audiobooks and also the narrators that we should be on the lookout for. So I listen to audiobooks. I listen to them a lot less than Gail, I think, and I'm more sporadic with it. So I'm really excited to get some recommendations. And I expect that this will be a show for the both of you. And I'm going to listen and take notes. (laughs) (laughs) So we usually kick it off with talking about what we've been reading. And I guess in honor of Audiobook Month, we can say what we've been listening to. Great. What's What's your current listen, Gail? Um... Well, I'll do one that I just finished because um, I want to. I don't think I've talked about this on the show yet. Did I talk about how lucky? I'm not sure I did. I don't from, think from, so. Not on yeah the main show. So um, the most recent audiobook that I finished is called "How Lucky" by Will Leach, and this is a book about a man who has a progressive disease that causes the deterioration of his muscles. This is a novel. And so he is in a wheelchair. He lives, he's in his mid twenties. He lives in Athens, Georgia, and he sort of witnesses, um, a potential kidnapping out of his window one day. And then kind of like two days later is on the internet where he spends most of his time and realizes that the person he thought being kidnapped has been reported missing. So it's about his, you know, foray into kind of investigation and, you know, help trying to solve this mystery. But you really, the mystery is almost kind of secondary to the story, which is just about this man and how he, you know, got to be the condition that he's in and how he lives and it's his interior life. And I loved the fact that you kind of really got in his head and got to understand what goes on inside the head of somebody who can't speak and who's somebody who can't move. Um, this was narrated by um, Graham Halstead, who's a new narrator for me. And um, I thought doing it on audio was really good because I, again, enjoyed getting in this character's head and there's no better way to do that than listening to it on audio. So I really enjoyed this book and I thought that uh, doing it on audio was a great way to do it. And so then, this oh, was yeah, go ahead. nonfiction? No, it's fiction. Fiction. It's fiction. Yep. The author is actually a guy who, he's actually a sports writer. He writes for MLB.com and I've seen his byline a lot because I read a lot of MLB.com and I think this may be his first fiction. Um, So yeah, no, it's, it's, it's totally fiction, but it's just really good. And then as for what I'm listening to now, I am listening to a book called The Happiest Girl in the World by Alina Dillon. 
which is about, this one is also fiction. Is it not about the happiest girl in the world? Is she not happy? Um, well, no, she's not happy. It's actually about um, a girl, a fictional girl who is a competitive gymnast and she's trying out for you know the US gymnastics team. And the author weaves in all of the real life players like Simone Biles and Allie Raisman and all these people, but it's, it's, I'm halfway through, but it's, I think really going to be about the abuse, um, of these gymnasts by the team doctor. And, um, it's, it's, so it's, it's a weird hybrid that it's actually fiction and the author is not a gymnast and she's just imagining what would be going on through the heads of these girls, but it's also very, it hues very closely to the real life. So she's changed some names, like the doctor's name is different. And those, you know, the, that couple that used to run USA Gymnastics, Bella Caroli and his wife, they have different names in here. So it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of this strange Netherland. Like you're sort of like, wait, is this real or not real? But, um, I'm doing it on audio. It has two narrators because one is the girl's mother and one is the girl who's the, the actual gymnast. And it's pretty good. So that is my audio, but I was just kind of looking at you know, a lot of the audio I've done this year. And like, uh, Nicole said, I always have an audio book going and I'm super obsessive about it. And I have my favorite audio book narrators that I listen to a lot. And, you know, I, I'm very kind of deep into that world. Sounds great. So Claire, what about you? So I've been listening to A Promised Land by Barack Obama for um, a long time. Oh, me too. <laughs> um, me too. I'm still not done. And it's going to be a while yet. So, uh, but I am really enjoying that. And he reads it so well. Obviously, he writes really well to start with. And I know we're going to talk about this a bit later, but I love listening to memoir best on audiobooks because I just think there's something about someone telling their own story in their own voice especially when there's jokes or like deeply emotional moments, they can really inject emotion into the right part of the sentence and the right part of the story. And so that's really great. And yeah, he's a great reader and he swears a little bit from time to time, which Ooh. is, you know, just, I don't know, it feels cathartic. So <laughs> I'm enjoying that. Gail loves memoir too. She gives the same reason that you do. I'm also listening to A Promised Land. I started months ago. It will be months before <laughs> I finish. Gail has special books that she blow dries her hair. She only blow dries her hair. So she'll read this book for 15 minutes. And I think that this is the equivalent of a blow dry book for me. You know, it's like yeah, a slow burn. Little bites every now and then. <laughs> really interesting when you're listening to it, but it's not like... Oh my gosh, I've got to pick that back up. Well, we all know what happens, right? That's part of the problem is that there's not really any suspense. Right. All right. So I feel like I'm, I have been listening to a book that has been out. It must have come out, I would say three or four years ago. And I feel like everyone has probably listened to it because it was, or read it. It was a Reese Witherspoon pick. It's last year in Havana or next year in Havana. I always get that confused. And it's got two narrators, Kyla Garcia and Frankie Maria Corzo. And it is about this Cuban woman, Cuban American woman who goes to Havana after her beloved grandmother has died. And she goes because she wants to bury her ashes while she's there. But of course she has the opportunity to learn more about her grandmother and learn about her story. And she finds out that she has this secret love 
that did not go wrong because her grandmother did not marry that man. She married someone else. And so there are two, (laughs) of course, there are two narrators. And one is the young woman who's going back to kind of uh, spread her grandmother's ashes and find out more about her past. But it also uh, goes into the story of the grandmother and this love interest that she had and what happened between them because he was a revolutionary she was from a very wealthy family, and this is all set in the grandmother's time when Cuba is not controlled by Fidel Castro yet. They have another one in power, and the rebels are, you know, on Fidel's side. So you kind of know where the story is going in terms of who's going to end up being Cuban, the Cuban leader, but you also get a sense of both sides, you know, in terms of them being unhappy with the current um, leader that they had, and then the revolutionaries wanting to overthrow the system. And so you kind of have your ideas of, of where that's all headed, but it's, it's an interesting story. I see why people liked it. It's, it's, it's a good listen. Yeah. I don't know that book. I feel like it's everywhere. And then there's, there's been a couple of, of sequels, but it was one of her picks a few years back, and I think there is a new new one in that series now. Yeah, I know it from shelving it at the bookshop where I work, but um, but I, <laughs> I haven't read it. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a nice, easy listen. Good narrators. All right, so why don't we jump in a little bit Claire, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background with Libro FM? Yeah, so um, I wear many bookish hats. I'm an author. I'm a bookseller at East City Bookshop in Washington, D.C. Um, I'm the host of the Britlet Podcast, which is a show of news and interviews from the world of UK publishing. And um, Libro FM have been a sponsor of my podcast for quite a long time now. I want to say two years. Um, and so I had kind of started a relationship with them of sorts. And last year when the pandemic hit, they were employing underemployed booksellers, um, giving us some work to do. And I was one of those underemployed booksellers. And so I started working with them, worked with them for a few months, and now I'm freelance with them. So I, I help out with their marketing. Um, and I keep championing audiobooks, both at the bookshop where I work. Um, and as you know, Libra work very closely with, with bookshops as well. Um, and then also, obviously, they continue to sponsor my podcast. So I'm also always plugging them there too. I so, love East City Bookshop. I was going to say in Yale, DC also. Yeah. Have you been? I have been. And, wow. um, yep, I'm local. And oh, I don't think I realized that. Yeah. Um, I was there for a reading for, um, God, I'm just blanking on the title. It's the book about the, um, oh, it's the book about the, with the woman who rents her house, her guest house out to the baseball player, the pitcher. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was there for that event too. Every Drake starts over. Yeah. So yeah. it was one of my favorite books and I like it. I remember I drove all the way over to go to that reading and I love your books, your bookstore. It's great. Yeah, that was a really fun event. That was, I think, one of the most the most 
the best attended. We we used to have some offsite events too, but I think as far as in-store events, we really had moved books, you know, out of the way and made tons of space because it was it was really well attended. Yes, it was. That was great. And I still think about that. She I just she had some great answers about talking about her writing process mm, and she did. um yeah. That was, and that's one of my favorite books. I think that was 2019. That's one of my favorite books of 2019. Yeah. So yeah, lovely store. Um, all right. Well, today we're going to talk, as Nicole said, we're going to talk a little bit about audio. Um, and, you know, what we'd love to hear about from your perspective is just trends in audio right now. And, um, you know, there were two things that happened in 2020 that I think, have had an impact just from my own, you know, sort of just, um, you know, novice view. Um, two things that had really had an impact on the, the audiobook publishing industry. And one of course was the pandemic. And I'm curious to hear what data you can share about how the pandemic affected audio. You know, you might think it greatly increased audio because people were home and they were, you know, out exercising or walking or doing whatever they could. Or you could also say, you know, a lot of people use um, their commutes to listen to audio. And so I've also heard, you know, from people who podcast that their numbers actually went down because people were home more and they weren't on their devices or in a place where they could listen. So I'd like to hear about that. And then I'd also like to hear, and I, I think I heard you maybe talk about this last year a little bit, but about diversity in audiobook narration. And, you know, we, as we've come to so much racial, racial reckoning over the last year, how has that impacted the industry as well? And are you seeing more diversity in uh, both the books that are being chosen to have audiobooks recorded for them and also in the narration? And don't worry, we will take you through that again. Because <laughs> briefly before we get to that, pre-pandemic, I want to know what was your pitch to people in terms of like, how do you get them introduced to audiobooks or would they come in search of them? I think that I've definitely noticed a difference and an uptick. We'll talk about that in a moment since the pandemic, but even pre-pandemic, um, I'm a big podcast listener for the same reasons, some of the same reasons as audiobooks, which is that you can read and do something else at the same time. Um, and I think that that is my probably my pitch. If I had to say one, one thing that's great about audiobooks, that's probably it. Um, and you can read and you can make a task that might not be very interesting. You can start to look forward to because you're like, I'm going to listen to Barack Obama while I do my daily walk. I don't feel like doing because it's a bit cold today. You know, I, you know, I can, uh, do some dishes that I really don't feel like doing, but I will listen to somebody who's going to make me laugh while I do it. And so it'll be, it'll be fun. So, um, I think that would be my, my pitch for audiobooks in general. And then for Libro specifically, it would be that it's a great way to support your local bookstore without having, without the bookstore having to do any, any extra work at all. And without you having to do any extra work beyond like tapping on your app a couple of times. Um, so yeah, so both of those things are probably the top line of how I would plug audiobooks. And how do you work that into the conversation? Do you, if you're, someone comes to you in the bookstore, do you say, hey, fancy an audio book? Or how do you feel about audio? Or does it come up in, in the conversation in bookstores? I think it comes up in several ways. So let me think about the different ways. 
Uh, we have a poster in our, in our bathroom, which is kind of a letter from Libra FM saying like, explaining why, uh, sorry, I'm going to say that again. Um, it's from a customer explaining why they're breaking up with Audible and getting together with Libra FM instead. Um, you know, it's not me, it's you. I want, you know, I want audiobooks curated by real people, not algorithms. And it's quite a long letter. It's really well written and it's kind of funny. And, you know, when, you, when you're in the bathroom, you read whatever's <laughs> around, right? And so um, I've read it thousands of times and I know Libra FM. I don't need to read it, but it's just there. And so, um, yeah, custom, our bathrooms are open to customers. And so I think that that's kind of a stealth, a great stealth bit of marketing. Um, and then, but then another way that's more, more natural is that we off, well, at least I often talk to customers, whatever books they're buying. If I've read the book or if, you know, it's a book I want to read, or I've heard great things about a book, I'll often say, you know, I've heard, I've heard great things about this book. I'm reading this book. And if I've heard that a book's particularly great on audio, I tell them. Um, and so that's part of how we start the conversation. And then also Libra FM quite often will have offers of some kind. And so there's a hook there. So for example, for independent bookstore day, if they spend a certain amount of money, they would get a free audio book. And so you would say that to them as part of, you know, when they're checking out. Um, and then they might say, oh, what's Libra FM? And then you talk to them about it a bit more. Um, so that's one of the ways. And then we all, there, there's also merch, there's t-shirts. So um, some of our booksellers wear Libra FM t-shirts quite a lot. I I vary it a little bit. It kind of depends on the weather and stuff, but I have a pretty cool sweatshirt that I got from them. So that also helps because that kind of kicks off the discussion as well. And then we're also talking today on Prime Day, which is also kind of a fun stealth way. I mean, Prime Day has become a day when booksellers basically just blast the internet with all the reasons why you should support your local bookstore and not not the other place. Um, and so I'm actually kind of having fun today because I also do the social media for, for my bookshop, um, or the bookshop where I work. I don't own it sadly, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, and so that's another way to start the conversation is you can be like, Oh, did you know, like, for example, today they have the special offer. You can get two for one, uh, with Libre FM just into the next couple of days, which I know doesn't help the listeners because this is coming out later, but it's just an example of, something to look out for on social media that maybe starts people thinking, or maybe they've seen Libra FM mentioned like four or five times, and this is going to be the thing that pushes them. Um, so yeah, so there's lots of different ways. All right, Gail. So ease us into your questions. Okay. <laughs> so talk to us about the pandemic and about what you've seen in terms of people's audiobook listening habits. So I might have expected there to be less because I listened, or at least prior to the pandemic, I listened to podcasts most when I'm going places. Um, And so I might have expected it to go down. Um, But in fact, it's gone up. And so there's a new study by the Audio Publishers Association saying that audiobook sales rose 12% in 2020, which is, you know, that's substantial but it's not out of this world. However, Libra FM's figures are much bigger than that. So um, we saw a 200% increase in monthly members. We saw 50% growth in bookstore partnership and 400% growth in amount paid to local bookshops. So that's a massive growth, much bigger than the than the APA figures suggest. Um, and, and one of the ways 
um, that things have changed is people do listen less or have listened less on the move, but they listen at home a lot more. Um, and maybe that's partly because, uh, you know, some people, are, some people are at home with lots of people and there's lots of noise all the time, but people like me are at home with nobody and I'm also an extrovert. And so I constantly have something going to have, you know, company. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe also people are going for walks because that's their daily exercise because their gym is closed and, you know, other stuff is closed. And so again, audiobooks for that. Um, and so many people were decluttering and rearranging right, yeah. and things like that. Because I know that I, when I get in that mode where I'm kind of either going through clothes or getting laundry together or doing whatever, it is just so easy to just listen a little bit more and a little yes, bit more definitely. and to take on another chore that, yes, I would normally run from. <laughs> yeah. And then also the same survey by the APA said that um, 70% of people say audiobooks are good for relaxing, which is definitely something we needed. And we all needed a way to, you know, try and take a deep breath and think about something else. And I think as well, other people have said that having time without screens was useful. And again, it was a way you could relax. I didn't do this much. I think I only did this once, but I did keep thinking, oh, wouldn't it be nice to get into the bath with an audiobook? I kind of, that was my ultimate, like, that would be such a relaxing thing to do. I just never quite got around to doing it, but I can imagine a lot of people did do that. I did um, that. <laughs> <laughs> I love a good bath. And then I think as well, the other reason that can explain the big growth with Libra FM is that people were suddenly more aware than ever that their bookshops needed as much support as possible. Um, and also bookshops realized, okay, we've got to step up our online game and our social media game because people can't physically come and visit. And so the combinations of bookshops getting more active with social media and with anything digital and of people really stepping up and wanting to support their local bookshops. That's also what, um, what really helped the growth as well. I think too, you know, people had sort of a love hate relationship with the big retailer that mm -hmm. shall remain nameless during <laughs> the pandemic. I mean, I think there was a lot of dependence on it because they couldn't go elsewhere but yet they sort of resented that dependence at the same time. And um, certainly turning to independent bookstores, independent bookstore outlets like Bookshop or Libro, I think um, felt especially appealing. And there was a moment too where um, the big evil company wasn't, wasn't actually shipping and they were deprioritizing books, they called it. Yes. Um, and there were also, we'll come to this too, but there were also some books that sold out and print and, and were out of print and things like that suddenly. And the thing with audio, digital audio is that it doesn't go out of print. And so it was another way, if you couldn't get hold of books, books at, at one point too, I think this is all starting to feel like a long time ago, but I seem to remember that at one point the mail in general was just really struggling and deliveries in general were a bit of a nightmare. Um, and bookshops took a while too to figure out, you know, their, their mailing. And so it's like, if you need a book right now, maybe your online, maybe your book club is finally doing a Zoom meetup and you need a book and you need to read it the next week and you can't get hold of it very quickly. Then, you know, an audio book is great because you have it instantly and, and there's no going out of print or anything like that. That's a good point because I feel like there were several times where I had ordered something and then it would show up and I had no idea. It's like, what did I order? Because it had been so long ago. <laughs> what is this? Yeah, the, definitely. Um, 
And just to have that immediate delivery to your device. I mean, at this point, is anybody buying uh, physical audiobooks anymore? They do still exist. Actually, I bought my stepdad the Obama memoir on CD because there's no way he would have figured out any other way to listen to it. Um, But I think they probably only make them for very select books. (laughs) Right. I think so. My mom has uh, a CD player. I was teasing her because she ordered a trampoline that comes with a CD of exercises. I'm like, how do you, how do you watch that? How do you, like, she's like, I have one on my computer and her computer is like 10 years old. Right. Um, yeah. And I right. mean, sorry, I was just going to say the Libra app is very easy to use. It's just that, you know, certain people, certain older people, no matter how easy an app is, they're just never going to be able... My stepdad only got a smartphone like three months ago. So <laughs> that's not a comment on the Libra app in any way, but just certain older people are just not... They're just not going to be able to learn it. And it's great if they do have access to the old-fashioned CDs, if they can. Right. I mean, some people are still not not sort of used to just having that device attached to their hand at all times. Right. <laughs> That's so, yeah. so foreign to me because mine really is, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, Black Lives Matter. Let's talk about last year. Um, what changes did you see in terms of audiobooks featuring diverse narration, reaching diverse audiences? Um, and, and do you think this was something that publishers made a deliberate effort to do? Um, yes, I do. Um, I we did see um, a big growth in sales in in those titles that were featured over and over again in in the you know how to be an anti racist type lists. Um, and those were some of our biggest sales of the entire year. So the kind of the sales that happened, particularly while it was this time last year, I guess um, you know, were such that compared to the whole year, I mean, that's a, that's a massive thing. If you can have a book come out in the middle of the year, that kind of overwhelms all the other books published that year in terms of sales. So yes, that we did uh, sell a lot. And that was what I was just mentioning before. A lot of those books suddenly became quite difficult to source because they were out of print. You know, publishers hadn't expected as, as many sales, whether these were brand new books just out, which happened to be out at just the right time or, or books that were a couple of years old that people suddenly were more aware of. Uh, or I should say white people were suddenly more aware of. Um, and yeah, and so people, you know, started ordering a lot of books. And I I was at this point, I was um, I was helping with the pickup window at our bookshop, which was the only way that we were physically interacting with customers. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, it was incredibly noticeable that so many of the books that I was, you know, putting onto the little shelf were anti-racist books. Um, and yeah, same with Libre FM. We sold a ton of those, like I've said, and they, many of them went out of print. And so then audiobooks were a great way to, um, to get hold of them still. Um, so yeah, that was definitely a big thing. And I think it also prompted as in many other companies, it prompted us to think about diversity and, you know, equity and inclusion. Not that that wasn't something we were thinking about before, but I think it just caused everybody to rethink. Um, so yeah, we just, we were really making sure that we were highlighting black owned bookstores and black narrated books. And we have just put out a blog post, um, sort of summarizing some of the most prolific and most popular, uh, black audiobook narrators as well. 
Um, I saw that. That was really good. A good list. I think um, it, it seems to me, especially with audiobooks, I doubt that people return them as much because I know there was an issue with a lot of stuff being performative, some bookstores suffering because people were either impatient with their orders or uh, returned the books, you know, like once that urgent urgency and that urgent moment had passed. Um, like they weren't reading them? They were going out and buying them and then not reading them and returning them? Yeah. I mean, I think with a lot of bookstores, they didn't even bother, you know, like the orders came in and they wouldn't pick them up or people return them. Or I know some black owned bookstores had the issue of being overwhelmed with orders, trying to fulfill the orders and then just people having complaints and returning the books or it caused its own kind of nightmare. I mean, it did. Yeah. I mean, having never read any of this, we suddenly all needed it within a week or the world was going to fall apart. It was a very bizarre kind of entitlement and sort of, yeah, it was, it was a strange combination of circumstances because it's like these issues are important and urgent, but they're not going to go away in the next week. You can read this book in a month and it will still be relevant. <laughs> um, or and, a year or... <laughs> yeah. I mean, sadly, yeah. And, and you know, you can, you're supposed to be uplifting Black voices and instead you're yelling at Black booksellers because they're not getting you their books fast enough during a pandemic. It was... Right. Customer yeah. service issues. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, what other trends are you seeing? I am, um, you know, talk about Actually, actors. Oh no, go ahead, Nicole. Can I jump in and just say, how do you, I mean, I don't know if you're involved in the process in terms of, you know, I was just looking at the list of the you know, influencers get copies of audiobook listening copies. So what goes into how do you choose books for that list? Or do you know how they're chosen or do publishers approach? Is it more of an outreach on the part of Libro FM? So that's not something I've been involved with that closely. So I don't know that many details, but I know that it's a combination of those things. Publishers approach us and we approach publishers and again, being very mindful of making sure that our lists are inclusive of, um, getting a know, good mix. not just racially, but inclusive of LGBTQ issues and disability and all kinds of things. And so I think there's a genuine effort to reach out to make sure that we have all kinds of people represented on, on those book lists. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, you can often see, we often get the big books, um, because the publishers, it's part of their strategy of advertising, you know, the books that they're putting the most money into, but then we sometimes get books that are much more under the radar as well. So it's a, it's a real mix of different kinds of books and, and yeah, the publishers, it's a whole process that I don't know that much about. So I wouldn't, wouldn't want to speculate in too much detail because I don't want to get anything wrong. Um, but yeah, publishers are definitely involved. Part of the 20 touches, like if you see something 20 times, yes. I think a lot of publishers use, like you develop that familiarity. It's like, you know about it, you know, oh, I saw it there. And it can be like sort of subconscious. Wow, I thought it was seven. Twenty is a twenty is a lot. <laughs> is it? I don't know. I feel like I see so many things, so many places, which is sometimes why I have to give myself a break and limit the things that I'm paying attention to. 
because I think that that's how you you wake up and you're just like, I have to read this book. I've seen it everywhere. So maybe it is seven. <laughs> and yeah, I, just I mean, no, it could well be 20. To 20. <laughs> we're bombarded with stuff all the time. And if it is 20, that also makes sense as to why publishers are using bookstagrammers, for example, more and more, because mm-hmm. if you scroll through your feed, you might see the same book three or four times or that's a substantial proportion already on your way to 20. So that would make sense. And that's something we definitely talk about on the show too. You know, Gail will say, I just saw it so many places and I just had to read it. Yeah. And whether it turns out to be a wise decision or not, but you know, and I know that they know that that, they think that that works, which is why you do see so many yeah, release, and I think it does. Release date quite... stuff. You know, it's like, it's annoying, but people are just like, but it works because all of a sudden you see it everywhere and everyone's talking about it. It's like, okay. Yeah, it does work. Um, and Libra FM works with a lot of bookstagrammers too. Um, you know, so it definitely works. It's interesting. I've, um, I've sort of tried to mix up my reading life a bit this year and try to go back and read books from previous years that I wanted to read and haven't got to read because I think sometimes that can be more rewarding than jumping on the, you know, the bandwagon of the book everyone's raving about, which they'll have forgotten about in six months time. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic there, I think. And as a bookseller, I want to be in touch with what's coming out right now. But for my own personal enjoyment of my reading life, I found that it's great to go back to books that people are still mentioning as being great, but they came out in maybe 2018, which is like five minutes ago to most people, but to booksellers, that's just, you know, so long ago. <laughs> right. That's the backlist. Back, yeah. backlist. I'm definitely trying to do more of that this year to go back and just, there's tons of things on my shelf that I was just wild about when it first came out. And two or three years later, they're still unread. So I still do get snagged in, you know, like um, The Maidens is out by Alex Michalides. And I'm super excited to read that, but I am working my way back through other things. I'm trying not to, you know, go down the path of all the shiny objects. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, it's hard when you're, when you have a podcast or like me, when you're (laughs) a bookseller, you can't really, the shiny objects are in your face all the time and they are shiny. Um, and some of them are amazing. Like, um, you know, Mary Jane by Jessica Anya Blau just came out. That was an incredible book that I just absolutely loved. And had it been backlist, I probably might've heard of it, but like this one was a big, you know, pushed a lot in our bookshop and it was amazing. And I'm really glad I read it. Um, but then other books, which shall remain nameless, um, you know, less so. So, Yeah, I think I told Nicole that one of my res- reading resolutions for this year was to not get distracted by shiny objects and to just focus. And I have abandoned that so completely because... I feel like we have the same resolutions every year. I want to read more of just yeah. what I want to read. Yeah. I don't want to be distracted. I know. I know. But like... <laughs> I think that, like you said, Claire, when you are on Bookstagram and when you podcast, I mean, every, like a huge chunk of my emails that come in are book related. They're either from publishers or from publicists, or they're announcing a new episode of a book related podcast. My Bookstagram is 95% book related. It's just all other Bookstagrammers that I follow. Uh, you know, the podcasts that I listen to are all book podcasts. And 
it's it I'm bombarded constantly with new books and I love that and I love being on top of this and I'm not because we're addicts we're addicts but it it does not um it does not help when your resolution is to not be distracted by new stuff because yep, all of that resonates very deeply with me too <laughs> I mean yeah. I have all the 2020 stuff that I still haven't gotten gotten in but there's still still books that came in yeah yeah, like sure. right now I'm reading The Plot by Jean Halm Korolitz, the one who wrote um, the one that was turned into the movie with Hugh Grant oh, you and Kim. You should have known. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, I'm dying to read that book because it's like, everyone's like the plot, you have to read the plot is the book of the song or the plot, the plot. And, you know, and it's like bombarding me on every potential, you know, every possible like medium is entering my brain with the plot in it. I know I follow some author on Instagram and she mentioned it and was obsessed with it and loved it. And so here I am reading it. Yeah, I believe it. So far it's good though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right. Well, should we hop on over to our regular questions that we ask all of our guests? Okay. Claire, you okay. ready? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, tell us about an author whose books you have read all of. We call this being a completist. You know, there aren't actually that many, but I instantly knew which one I was going to talk about. And it's probably not very original, but Taylor Jenkins Reid. Uh Um, Mm. I read all of her books. I read Forever Interrupted, which was her first book when it came out probably about, I think it was 2013, that kind of time. Um, She seems like she has so many books. She has seven. Yeah. And most people only really know about Daisy Jones and the Six and the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, but, um, and the new one, Malibu Rising. But yeah, I read that first one then and I loved it. And then I kind of basically read all of her books as they came out. Um, I had not read Evan Hugo because it came out in 2017. I had kind of a bad reading year that year. hadn't read it in 2017. And so as we were just talking about, you know, by 2018, I was like, well, I'm only reading books published in 2018. So I guess I'm never reading Evelyn (laughs) Hugo, which is ridiculous. But, um, (laughs) But I finally picked it up this year and absolutely loved it as well. So yeah, I read everything by her. My book club just read Evelyn Hugo, but I didn't read it. It's amazing. Um, it's so good. Oh, okay. See, here we go. <laughs> we've, yeah, we've talked about this a lot because I read, um, I've read a lot of her early stuff as well. And I like the early stuff better. Like I like, like After I Do and uh, One True Loves mm. and Forever, is that Forever Interrupted? Is Forever that Interrupted, yeah. That yeah. was the best one. I like those. And then I enjoyed Evelyn Hugo, but I, for some reason, all the hype with Daisy Jones, I like, it was so hyped up that by the time I read it, I was kind of like, eh, most, I think we've talked about this, Nicole, cause I did it on e-reader, which she I read doing. it in the wrong format. Yeah. I should have done it on audio and I oh, keep saying yeah. I'm going to go back and do it on audio. Yeah. Um, I think I did it on hardback and it definitely, I can see how on ebook it wouldn't be great, but I have heard many good things about the audio book of that one. That's oh, I love, definitely yes. a great one. Love yeah, the audio book. I do have the audio ready to go for um, Malibu Rising with Julia Whalen, who, of course, is, you know, narrator extraordinaire. So I might have to give that a try as well this summer. Okay. That was actually one of the the June picks for Libro FM mm, influencer was, picks. Yeah. I might have to check it out. Um, okay. So what is a book that everyone other than you has read? 
Um, I feel like everybody in publishing got an early copy of and read The Other Black Girl by Zakia Dalila Harris. So even though it's just come out That's next a couple on of weeks my ago, list. I feel like everyone in publishing has already read it. Um, so yeah, and I want to read it definitely. I'm very intrigued by the whole, it's get out meets the devil meets Prada is how um, the devil wears Prada, which is what, how people are describing it. Um, so yeah, very intrigued by that. I've yeah, never I imagined s- enough to come up with these cross the devil meets Prada and yeah. get out. <laughs> I actually was going to start that book last night because I had finished a book the night before that I, it, I was in such a book hangover because I read like my first five star read of the year. And I was like, oh, I can't believe this is done. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's called The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano. Hmm. Oh, and I have that. Oh, I highly recommend that book. I loved it. Um, but then I was like, okay, what's next? Because I'm such a mood reader. So I was like, I got to do something that's really different from Rose Napolitano, but it's going to be equally good. And I have the other black girl sitting by my bed and I was like, should I do this on audio? Should I do it in print? And then, you know, I was reading reviews of it last night. So have, have you guys actually talked to anyone who's actually read it? No. I've listened to podcasts about it. I don't know that I've talked to anyone in real life, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, Like, I'm... isn't that the same thing? What do they say on these podcasts? <laughs> um, I think people generally like it. They're, well, the problem with podcasts is that they generally try to not be too spoilery. So, which is, I mean, right, obviously yeah. 99% of the time it's great, but sometimes you want a bit more information. Um yeah, I think people generally speaking are enjoying it. I think everyone is recognizing that the whiteness of publishing is definitely very accurately portrayed. And yeah, I read a couple of chapters about. and then I had to read something else, but that's going to be my next book after I finish this book that I have to read. So I don't know, Gail, maybe we'll make it a book club pick. <laughs> we were looking for something. It definitely seems like a book club kind of book. Um, I mean, especially that it goes into publishing. I think it would be really fun. Yeah. I mean, just from reading it, there, there are certain things that are are really interesting. Uh, And Gail and I were talking about this a show ago or a couple of shows ago. I was saying how I thought book covers for anyone who is non-white, they look completely different. Like you can always tell. And to some of the themes sometimes, you know, so that will be interesting for me to see things develop as people become more aware. Will they really make changes or whatever? Because even when you do get books from Black authors, the public publishing industry is so white that there's all of this, that's this input that's kind of like a filter with what's going out. And so I think this book, from what I heard, is coming along at a moment where people were willing to entertain a book that challenged that or looked at it from a different perspective. Okay. So what is a book that everyone other than you liked? So I had to really think about this because it's really hard when you're a bookseller and an author and you're like, I don't want to say anything mean about it. Everyone goes for classics. It's fine. (laughs) Well, no, I went for a book that has sold very well and doesn't need my help to sell (laughs) anything. (laughs) Um, so I went for We Were Liars by E. Lockhart, which... Ooh, I did not like that book either. So I actually loved it until the twist, and then I wanted to throw it against the wall. (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> I don't, I think I've been the, I think it's the book that's made me the angriest. And I, as I said, I loved it. And I think if they, if she had told it a different way, it's a she, right? I think the author is a woman. I'm not totally I think sure. That's right. Um, if she had told it a different way so that she could have told it without that twist coming when it does and doing what it does, I actually would have like totally been on board, but I felt really tricked and I don't know. I mean, I still think about it. I think about the ending all the time and I think it was in its way a really powerful book, but every time I see someone picking it up, I sort of want to be like, are you sure? (laughs) Um, and I've, I've been thinking about it again because I recently joined Book Talk, although I'm old and not very good at it. Um, but um, it's one of the books that everyone talks about a lot there. So I don't think it's true to say that everyone liked it because I think it is quite a polarizing book. But certainly there's a lot of love for it. And I loved it too for, you know, most of the time I was reading it, but I was pretty See, angry at the this end. sounds like a water cooler book. I feel like I need to read it just so that I can weigh in and have an opinion now. Yeah, I mean, it will be an enjoyable experience. I like I said, I enjoyed most of it. Until it's also the twist. quite it takes place um I forget exactly where, but somewhere on Cape Cod in the summer, so it's quite a good summer read from that point of view. Yeah, it's an island off of Martha's Vineyard. Um yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, okay. So my last question for you is if we handed you $25 right now and sent you into East city bookshop, what would you buy? Oh, I forgot to prepare this one. I was going to, um, really put some thought into this because that's really, that's a great question and really interesting. I think that I would instantly head to our newly enlarged romance section. Um, because I have, I don't know, those are just the books I need at the moment. I don't, need anything too heavy or too literary. Um, there's a book called The Layover by Lacey Weldon, which is about, um, I think it's a flight attendant and a pilot or possibly two pilots who find themselves stranded um, on an island and, you know, it's an enemies to lovers kind of situation. Um, the great thing too about the romance section is most of them are paperbacks, which means that with $25, I could get, well, most of two books, maybe not quite two. <laughs> but like, <laughs> With my staff discount, I could definitely get two. So if you do the mass um, market paperback, you could maybe yeah. get three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also a book called Yes and I Love You that came out recently and it has it's a romance novel. I think it involves an actor and a screenwriter or something like that. And I really gravitate towards books um about those things. So that's that those are probably the two that I would pick up. But it, I would stand there for a long time. And I also would be tempted by, we have lots of amazing uh, journals and notebooks. And I'm like, actually, probably realistically, I would spend the $25 on a really nice notebook. But that doesn't really help with the book podcast. So. Oh, people have said it before. They go for the, <laughs> they, they say that they have so many books. I love a good journal. Um. Yeah. I mean, having books doesn't mean that you don't keep buying them though, right? I mean, yeah, yeah I know. I know. <laughs> yes. No, in fact, it might mean the opposite. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There's also, if I'm allowed a third one, so I would have to not buy those two and instead buy a book called Finley Donovan is Killing It, which is kind of a murder mystery about a writer who kind of finds herself embroiled in this murder that she didn't mean to be part of. And it sounds really fun. And I keep picking it up and reading the first line and the first line is is really funny um, and it just makes me want to read it. But 
And then I put it back down because it's a hardback and I have all these books at home already, but (laughs) you know how it is. (laughs) I just wrote that down. You know, it's funny. I think I listened to an episode of a podcast that your podcast on the flat share. Yeah. Which was, um, you know, I must've listened to that like two years ago. Cause I was yeah. on the road somewhere. I, I was on a business trip somewhere and I listened this to that. Is the one that you ran up to the room so that, cause you couldn't put it down. The book? No. You mean the book, the flasher? Right. No, not that no, one. No. Um, no. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You're, that's the long bright river. Um, no, this was a different trip. And I listened to that uh, podcast and I, it took me like probably almost a year before I read the book, but then I did. And I kept thinking back to your interview with the author and how she had read, written that book. Like, uh, like she had an infant or she was going to a coffee shop and had like two hours a day and she was cranking that book out. It was very impressive. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to that, to my podcast. Um, yeah. And she actually has a new book out called the road trip. Um, which sounds really good, but it also sounds, I'm finding a lot with romance novels at the moment that there's often a dark element to it. There's grief or there's something. And I personally, just for where I am in my life right now, I want romance as just romance. I don't want, I don't need or want (laughs) the darker stuff. And she does, I mean, even in the flat share, um, I don't know if you remember, but you know, one of, there's a little bit of uh, she is getting out of a relationship that was kind of violent, I think. Mm-hmm. And also his brother is in jail and so mm-hmm. all that, which um, made, made for a more interesting and more substantive book, definitely, but also made it not, I wouldn't ever put it into someone's hand and say, this is light and fun because it is light and fun, but there's also all these other kind of heavier stuff. Um, so if you like that kind of thing, she has this new book, The Road Trip, and she also had another one called The Switch, which she talked about a bit about on my podcast too, where it's, um, so it sounds like a great premise. It's basically a grandmother and a granddaughter switch over um, mm, right. and the grandmother goes to live in London for a while and the granddaughter stays, I don't know, up north in England somewhere. And it does sound like, again, like a great premise, but I read the back and was like, yeah, I think the grandmother's probably going to die or something. I mean, I have no knowledge. <laughs> I have no knowledge of this. This is just me, you know, <laughs> just deciding right. that something bad's going to happen. And I, I don't know if I really want to go there. Um, but yeah, Beth O'Leary, she is a very well-loved author, especially in the UK. I did, uh, the flat share on audio. It was also very good. I can't remember what the name of the narrator is. Um, it's, it's a British narrator. I'll have to look it up, but, um, yeah, of course I did. That's another thing with audiobooks that I didn't mention earlier is that if you like accents, um, you know, British accent or whatever, or just the accent to be authentic to the person who's telling whatever story it is, because, feels weird to hear because I don't know about you when I'm reading to myself I sort of hear it in my own voice but if it's you know somebody from Jamaica or somebody from Norway or somebody from you know some other place they're not going to sound like me and so it's kind of nice to have that element of it with audio as well that you hear the kind of right the actual voice and the actual accent that it would be in actually let me ask you a question about this um it just kind of fits in with what we've been talking about. So that book, The Flat Share, I did it on audio. There's two narrators, uh, Carrie Hope Fletcher. I don't know if that's someone that you know. She was the narrator for Tiffy. And then sometimes I will look up what a narrator looks like either during or after I finish the audiobook because um, I just, you know, sort of want to 
see what is, do they look anything like how I imagined them? And the narrator for Leon, who is the male love interest in the book, his name is Kwaku Fortune and he's black. And I looked him up and I said, oh, he's black. And the character, like they never said what race the character was yeah, in the book. I'm trying to think, as you said that, it was like, did they say? I, I mean, I, no. read it, I read it a couple of years ago, but that is interesting. And it was so interesting to me because I was like, oh, was he supposed to be black? And is he, or was, was, is it not specified? And you can, you know, imagine whoever you want. With like, I thought it was such an interesting casting choice. Cause I was like, yeah, I, but just, I think we've had this conversation on the podcast before. Like, I mean, there's the thing of this being a book that it's read to you. So basically anyone could read it or, is this something, is this an experience book where you're looking for something? Because remember you read that book about, I think it was set in Boston with the two kids who go to high school and the narrator was black, even though the yes. main character was white. You know, and I don't really think yes. in terms of audiobooks, I just think of it as a book that someone is reading to me and less as an experience. So Sometimes it's it's very distinct and you know that, okay, this is a Black character and I feel like someone Black is reading it to me. But I don't necessarily have that perspective that it has to be, if the book is by a white person or with white characters, that you can't have a Black narrator. That's true. Although it's interesting when it's dual, when it's a, I know what you mean about it's just somebody reading you a story, so it doesn't really matter who they are in relation to the characters. But when it's dual or multi, it sort of feels like they are trying to relate more to the characters, well, right? Yes, definitely. I mean, I feel like you got that with the help or, you know, Octavia Spencer played one of the maids. I mean, it's a different thing. I mean, I, I think that there's lots of books where there are only one narrators. And sometimes if the story is told from two perspectives, then they might have two different narrators. Um, in terms of voicing the character, I don't know. I mean, because cartoons, you don't necessarily know who's voicing who. Um, but I do think that if you do have like eight people, if you have an ensemble cast of five with a number of people, then I do think that that's different. And maybe they are looking for people who embody the roles. But for the average audiobook, I don't feel like that is a, a thing. I guess the it just one, depends. Yeah, with the one that you raised, that was Green, um, the book that I read. And so that book was about a white kid who went to a school where he was one of the only white kids. And it was basically all about him trying to fit in with his Black classmates and all about his own identity, which is why I thought that using a, a Black narrator was so strange because... But if I the tell whole point you a story, of the book was that he was white. But if I tell you a story at story time, do I need to, if I am reading a story, do I need to be white or do I need to be Puerto Rican or do I need to be the characters? True. You just need to or narrate am I just, well. Yeah. Am I reading the story and am I bringing, you know, am I bringing this character alive? Like if you read stories to your children and if they're diverse stories, you know, are you going to run out and find someone who can read the story? Or are you going to read the story and do the best you can? 
Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Um, it just, yeah. I think we need to get to the place where it's not weird for anyone to read anything. I mean, because this is not something that's visual. Because you create the, you're creating what you see from the story based on what you hear. I don't know. Yeah, that's a really interesting conversation. I've never really, I've never really thought about it that way before. Yeah. I mean, it would be fun to talk to somebody who works in audio casting. I've always thought about that. Another thing that I think about too is choosing a celebrity versus a, you know, professional narrator. Obviously if it's a memoir written by a celebrity, that makes a lot of sense. But sometimes you have, you know, celebrities who are picked to, you know, they're kind of a more common voice, like Tom Hanks, for example, who did the most recent, um, the, I don't remember the title. What, which, what was the, the book Dutch that you narrated? Yes, the Dutch yes. House right, the, by Ann Patchett. Um, and that's why I, I come around to race. I mean, if you have men who are reading books that are written by women or... Yeah, I'm I'm not sure about the racial aspect. It's not something I think about just because so many people read different books. So I don't think that that necessarily has to play a role in it unless you are doing more of a, this is a multi-person cast. We're performing this book for you. And I think that those are distinctions, which kind of leads me to my next question for Claire in terms of, is there anything that makes you... How do you decide what you want to listen to as opposed to read? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, well, I think I mentioned earlier that I love memoir um, written, uh, read by the author. Um, I also like particularly funny uh, memoir read by the author. Um, Lauren Graham's is a great example. It's called Talking As Fast As I Can. Um Colin Jost came out last year called A Very Punchable Face. That was great to listen to. Um, So maybe it's that. Uh, It also depends a little bit on my life, like what my life looks like at that point. So if I'm, you know, if I need to read, for example, this week, I need to read Stacey Abrams' novel very fast in four days. Uh, Not entirely sure I'm going to manage that even with audiobooks. Um, But you know, I need to fit it into every nook and cranny of my day. And so audiobooks is e- audiobooks are easier for that. Um, yeah. Or if I'm going on a journey and I want to like lean back against, you know, the plane window and like, I don't know, I love that whole traveling, watching the world go by and listening to a story sort of, it's a little bit of a romantic way of thinking about reading, I think, but I like doing that. And so if I happen to be going away and, you know, I look through my extensive Libro collection and think about if there's anything I particularly want to listen to, um, it can be fun to read stuff that is set where you're going as well if you're traveling. So, you know, if I'm flying to California, I might look through my Libro library and think about what is set there that I might want to read, um, stuff like that. So it kind of just depends on my mood. Um, I also really like, um, short things in short chunks. So I think the first audiobook I ever listened to was Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. I don't know if you've read that or listened to it. No. 
I know what it's about, but I haven't. So it's a collection of her Dear Sugar columns, which are advice columns, but sort of interspersed with kind of memoir and essay and that's just really beautifully written. And each sort of, each chunk is probably a 10, 15 minute listen. And I had this one particular walk I used to do on my way somewhere, I think it was two or three times a week. And so it was the perfect, okay, while I walk over this bridge to the Metro, I will listen to one, I don't know if I'd even call them chapters, but one kind of part of this book. Um, so I like that because I, I find that if I find myself drifting off during an audio book, I, I don't let myself keep going. I like go back and listen again, uh, which is, why, which is why Obama's book has taken me so long. Um, because you, you know, I really want to concentrate, but if you, it's, you know, in his beautiful prose, it's kind of easy to slightly switch off and then you've missed it. Um, and even though I know what happens, I still want to hear every word properly. Uh, but when it's a short chunk and you know, okay, I just need to concentrate for 15 minutes and that's all. Um, I think it's quite an easy way to listen to an audiobook, And I think that's probably a good way in if you're not sure if audiobooks are for you as well is trying the kind of short chunks. Um, you know, 10, 15 minutes is also good for, you know, listening to just before you go to sleep or depending how long you take over your makeup. Um, I actually think that's too long for how long I take over my makeup, but some people might be the right amount of time for that. Um, so yeah, it just kind of depends what life is looking like and what I'm looking for at that particular moment, which I know is not a very succinct answer, but. (laughs) So you're a mood listener. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And mood reader too, in general. All right. Well, this has been great. Claire, thanks for taking the time today to talk to me and Nicole. Yeah. Um, Thanks for having me. Oh yeah. Happy to have you on. So this is uh, audiobook month. Um, June is audiobook month every year. And so um, we are excited to be shining a light on audiobooks and uh, as always encouraging people to give them a try. So we will link to all of the books that are mentioned today on the show. And we will also link to your bookstore so people can find you there. Great. And, and your podcast to, and all yes. the things. Yep. And to Libro FM. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. And to everybody else, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.